Breaker, Breaker Crunchers. Wait, that's not the right show. Welcome, Heroes and Heroines, to another episode of <laughs> Tales from the Spinner Rack, a comic book review show. Uh, I am Matt from the Absolute Geek Podcast. And I'm Jay from the Audio Ammunition Podcast. There you go. Welcome. We are here again. It's another fantastic week of books to review. Um, I don't know. What, what did you think about this week's selection before we get into to reviewing them? There were some surprises. Uh, some, it's okay. I'll just put it this way. There were some very high highs and some very low lows. <laughs> there was. There was some very high highs and very low lows as well as um, I think this is the first week where I have to officially declare that I did not care for any of the X books that came out and we got three of them. So they can't all be golden. I guess not. And the, this, this week pretty much proved it. They can't all be golden eggs. No, they cannot all be golden eggs or golden <laughs> girls. <laughs> yeah. So let's go ahead and start off this week's show with uh, my pick of the week or I don't know, our pick of the week and what I would call the surprising book of the week is it's an image comics. Number one, 20 XX. I know you read this as well, Jay. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about 20 XX? Okay. So, um, the, first of all, I just want to mention that it's, it's in black and white, which, um, I would say either. Is it lens, in black and white or are you just colorblind? Oh, God. Mine's gosh. in color. Mine's in color. I don't know about yours. Is it really? Yeah, mine's in color. No, no, no mine, it's not. No, it's oh, okay. Oh, you know what? I <laughs> so I just went to the eye doctor today. <laughs> it's in color um, in my mind's eye, not Corbin. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's, in black and white, it will either um, either lend towards a, a, a specific mood, or it'll totally clash with with what the 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 atmosphere that the writer's trying to do and it'll just totally throw me off and I won't like it. This, however, I thought was it it was a really it, it enhanced the the mood of the book and I really enjoyed it. You don't like it? You didn't like it was black and white? Set the mood. The mood, mood. No, I enjoyed that it was black and white. It was very um homage to Walking Dead. I, I enjoyed it. That's that's kind of what I thought, but then I'm like, well, I don't really, I don't read a lot of like indie comics, so you know, Black uh, Walking Dead is probably the only thing I knew that was regularly in black and white. Um, so, um, the book starts out with um, this this regular um, working class uh, woman, and she she's going to a job that she doesn't necessarily like. And it follows her going out into the street. And so apparently people have to wear masks because there's some sort of a virus that, that people can contract and they're always having, having to wear masks. And then you kind of, um, you kind of get the feeling that there's, there's people that, have the virus and people that don't and they're they're treated very differently so 
this girl, she she walks in and she's actually um, she doesn't like her job, but she she's set for a promotion. So she's like really excited about that. So she walks in and she's ready to be basically handed this promotion. And her I guess her eyes start like bleeding and the people around her just freak out. You guess her eyes started bleeding? Or well, yeah, they did. They bleeding. did. They okay. did. They they started bleeding, and it was pretty grotesque. And so she gets rushed to the hospital, and sure enough, she's got that she contracted that virus. And um, so she goes and she gets put into like quarantine. And they're basically, I guess, when one percent survival rate. Yeah, when you get this virus, you basically have to wait it out and see if you are the one of the one percent that pulls out of it or the 99% that you know you're you're 6 feet under and she makes it out um pretty miraculously she she makes it out okay and so she starts she starts to realize like what i was saying that um the people that don't have the virus um are treated differently from those who do because when not only do you, you get this virus and if you survive it, when you survive it, you are then um, you're prone to special abilities. Yeah. It implants on you and a certain part of your brain. And depending on where it implants, you develop a certain form of telekinesis. A certain form of power of you know mind power and they the mind powers are outlawed you can't use them so she's handed a pamphlet of telekinesis and you and how to control your powers and she's told to to come back once her powers manifest and that it can take a few days or weeks and that she gets a, she'll get away with the for whatever happens the first time and then she has to control her powers and they don't have to wear masks because they're all now they're immune to this disease the one thing I thought too was really yeah. interesting about this book is its setting. This this book takes place in this dystopian or dystopian Anchorage, Alaska. So it's like a Anchorage, Alaska that's kind of walled off. Yeah. So I thought that was that was pretty interesting too, as far as the setting of the book. Like you don't see very many books taking place in Alaska. <laughs> uh 30 days of night, maybe. That's the only one yeah. I can think of off the top of my head. <laughs> So yeah, yeah. So after she gets this this virus, um, so they I guess they can only go to to certain places. Like they can only hang out with each other. There's certain bars that are friendly to you know the people with the virus. So she goes in there because nobody really wants to talk to her anymore. She goes, <clears throat> she survives the the virus, and the first thing she does is go back to work and say, hey. I'm still alive. I'm ready for that promotion now. And they say, oh, well, actually, we gave that promotion to somebody else. And so she goes, oh, okay, well, then I'll just have my old job back. It's no big deal. And then they say, oh, well, actually, we already hired somebody for that job. So there's no place for you here. Sorry. So she doesn't really know what to do. So she goes and it looks, she goes looking for her cousin. Right? Yep. And she her goes cousin to who also has already survived the virus. 
Yeah, yeah. And and has these abilities. So she goes to him because she trusts him and she feels like he can give her the best chance of learning how to control this new ability that she's going to manifest. Yeah, so she goes looking at and the the place she goes kind of seedy and um she just starts kind of talking to some of the the locals and they they guess right off the bat that she's she's new to the virus just because they say she still has like that the doe eyes of you know experiencing this new this new world which is i guess like they're kind of like second class citizens just because I, I guess people are just nervous of their powers so yeah she goes to this this bar and she meets um this other this other lady that has the power her her powers and eventually she ends up hooking up with well not hooking up but she meets up with <laughs> her cousin um she totally hooked up with her cousin it's yeah crazy ancestral <laughs> now that's why we know it that's yeah. matt's pick of the week that's my pick of the week so yeah so she she meets up with her cousin love <laughs> so she meets up with her cousin finally and or as normal tuesday as people in the south call it <laughs> little cousin love oh gosh or so yeah yeah in, people in tonopah call it yeah cousin love um so yeah she meets back up with her with her cousin and I guess he's kind of like a. Did you get the impression he's kind of like a gang, like a gangster of some sort? No, I felt like he was kind of like a dishwasher at this restaurant. But didn't didn't he have something to do with that, like robbery? There was that well, no. So they they go into the restaurant and the robbery occurs. In um, I can't remember. I don't think he had anything to do with it because she's talking to him and he's kind of like, they kind of like meet each other and then. These gangsters with powers too bust in, and a fight ensues. And like he, he basically slashes or throws dishes with psychically moves dishes to attack a dude, and the guy kind of like slits his throat or something somehow, and he like falls backwards and snaps his neck against the the counter. And this whole then the other guy like or the girl shoots a knife into like the waitress's chest. And then the main character of the story, um, her name is Mir. She finally figures out what her ability is when she screams stop and she's about to get killed and she pretty much disintegrates the skin off one of her attacker's body. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess it's... Might not show up well because of the the light, but... Yeah, Yeah, so she basically like... Yeah, she blows all the skin off the dude and he's just basically like a skull and clothing. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, man, you know, I wasn't going to get this book because I just, I saw the cover and it's like one of those things where, you know, like when you, you, you go to a party and you can already just tell by the people hanging out outside that it's not going to be for you and you just keep on driving that's kind of what I felt like with this book. I just saw the cover. I'm like, I don't, I don't think it's for me, but um, Matt was getting it and he was excited about it. And I read the description of it on previews and I'm like, so it seemed pretty cool. And sure enough, it was, it was good. It was really good. In fact, it was, 
Uh, maybe other than Daredevil, it was like one of the best books I picked up this week or last week. Yeah, I really liked it. Um, I'm going to give it a four, even number. Uh, I kind of felt the only thing that stopped me from giving it a five. I mean, look, I like the book. The inter- the story kept me interested. I like the setting in a dystopian um, Anchorage, Alaska. I kind of like the fact that, it, you know, it doesn't give away too much. Um but I, I kind of felt like the the art was a little shoddy. It was very like first time indie like book, um, something you usually find in like your local comics section of your comic book shop. Uh, the, the local artist yeah, section, yeah, very like local zine, high school <sighs> zine. My first comic put together um, art. I don't know if it's purposely meant like that or not, but. I, I enjoyed the story. I like that it was black and white. It kept me interested. So I'm going to give it a four. four yeah. I, I totally see see where you're going. Um, I kind of noticed that too, especially like even the panels were all just like very, very basic, you mm-hmm. know, like, um, and yeah, it did have a very zine type feel to it. Some parts, um, and yeah, I totally get it, but I liked that about it. I liked that it was, it was clean and easy to follow. Mm. And there was, yeah, there wasn't a lot of like, you know, razzle dazzle in the, in the artwork for sure. But again, I thought it lent to its charm and I loved the story. I loved the pace. Um, there wasn't a lot of lag time and it didn't feel rushed at all. I liked that you kind of saw a little bit of insight into the main character's life. I think a lot of times people don't do stuff like that. Um, and, and I think it's, it's a lot of missed opportunity because it helps you invest in a character. It makes you care about this character and what happens a lot more when you're, you know, you, know, you kind of see a slice of life of theirs. So mm-hmm. I really like the book too. Um, gosh, you know what? I'm going to give it a 4.5. I mean, it's by the creative team of Jonathan Luna and uh, Lauren Keeley. So, I mean, it was like I said, it's and Jonathan Luna pretty much did everything himself. Lauren Keeley helped him write the story, but he did the the story writing, the art, the penciling, the lettering. So, I mean, it's very much a, uh, a creator owned book. Um, but it surprised me, and yeah, that's why I'm gonna give it my my surprise book of the week. And I think for me, a four is solid. If you're gonna go four point five, yeah, I'm gonna give it four point five. I was very pleasantly surprised. All right, very good. Well, I'll move. I'll go next real quick with another book that I have that you don't. Uh, I picked up Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Power Rangers number one, the Raphael uh, Red Ranger helmet variant. Uh, Virgin variant. Look, this is, I mean, this is simple nostalgia, people. If you grew up <laughs> in the 90s or even the late 80s and you were a fan of Turtles and Power Rangers, this is a book for you. It was Who put that out? IDW? Yep, it's out, it was by IDW. Um, it's a fantastic ride of nostalgia. Basically, the book opens up with the Power Rangers fighting one of Rita's monsters, and they're all kind of like, where's Tommy? Tommy's nowhere to be found. The Green Ranger. Uh, they dispatch the the 
evil monster and then they're at the the juice bar the jam and juice bar and angel grove kind of talking about how they wish like their life the power Rangers was a little bit easier and that you know monsters didn't always attack the city at the most uh unfortunate times for them um <laughs> and then it cuts over to new york city where the turtles are fighting they're fighting the foot and they're kind of you know razzing each other and and one up in each other and talking smack to each other. And Raphael's going to town on a bunch of foot and he gets one of the foot land, a shot on him, a big shot on him. And, uh, then Michelangelo and, and Donatello are making fun of Raphael for the, that foot ninja making, uh, taking a shot at him. And Raphael gets a shot back in too and kind of rips his mask off. And he kind of turns around real quick and says, Ninja vanish and throws a smoke bomb and disappears. And you see that it's Tommy. And for some reason, moral of the story is the the Power Rangers start looking for Tommy. They can't find him. He meets up with the Power Ranger or the Turtles again as they fight another time. This time he morphs to try and get a jump on the Turtles. Um, as he morphs, the other Power Rangers lock into him and come into the scene. And the Power Rangers and Turtles start fighting each other till they all kind of have this realization that hey, we're all we're both the good guys here. And so basically, it's uh, for some reason Tommy has joined the Foot Clan. And he's in cohorts with the Shredder to help the Shredder um, take over the Power Rangers and use the Power Rangers to produce a new Foot Clan. And mm. that's that's kind of where the first issue ended was Shredder declaring that he's going to to overtake the Power Rangers and use them as his new Foot Clan. So, like I said, hundred percent ninety eighties and nineties <laughs> nostalgia. If you're a Turtles fan or you're a Power Rangers fan, pick it up. It's well worth it. Um, I'm excited for issue two just because it, it definitely hit that that nostalgia slash kid inside of me still. So I give it a I give it a three point five out of five. Cool. Um, you know I, I've never been much into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but I do think Shredder is one of the coolest looking villains like ever. Yeah, he is. Um. So yeah, that's awesome that he's in it. I tr you know, <clears throat> there's been several times that I've tried just at like slow weeks that I'll I'll pick up a couple Ninja Turtle the ongoing series on IDW and and I just can't get into them. I don't know what I'll just be like, oh, you know, I have extra money. I'll pick up you know like Samurai usually has you know three two or three uh, issues. I'll pick up all three of them. Like, okay, I'm gonna make a, another attempt to get into Ninja Turtles. I don't know why, man. I just can't get into it. It's yeah. cool. I recognize it's cool, but I don't know. I don't know why. <laughs> I think it's just the the age difference, man. Like I was in those that was ingrained in me as a kid, like 85, 89, you know, 85 when I was born to 90. Well, that their movie came out in 90, so they had the cartoon and then the movie. And I, I used to watch that movie on rerun constantly <laughs> so and then they had you know the other two movies the turtle two secret of the use and then the three but turtles just kind of always stuck with me the cartoon the video games the movies it was just my childhood and then of course the 90s came and once power rangers hit i was a huge power rangers fan that was that kind of replaced turtles so now you're mashing like i said now you're mashing those two together the only thing you're missing in this is Ghostbusters, and my childhood would be complete. So. <laughs> the Ghostbusters animated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, See, if, if they the had... Real, the like, real Ghostbusters. 
<laughs> when uh, IDW came out with uh, a GI Joe Transformers crossover a while ago, and see, I thought like you, I'm like, oh, this that's my childhood, you know, yeah. put you know, encompassed in one book. Yeah, it sucked. I got the first issue, and then I didn't bother for anymore. <laughs> well, no, they've had IDW likes to do these weird crossovers. They've done mm. uh, Ninja Turtles, Ghostbusters, you know, and then they've done uh, Ninja Turtles, Batman. So, like, IDW likes to, to do all these weird crossovers, and I mean, they're they're kind of fun. And I'm going with the the Ranger head variants. I want to do a different helmet with a different turtle, and to go along with my. If you look at the background there, my Power Rangers variants where they're all holding their helmets. I want to kind of want to get the different turtles. I'm going to try to keep them as color coordinators as I can. So like Raphael with red, Leonardo with blue. And then, you know, once you get to Donatello and Michelangelo, that's where things get a little, a little iffy, but the one helmet that the one I want, it's a, it's a hard to find variant. I think it was a retailer variant. It's actually shredder holding the white tiger, the white ranger helmet and like Ooh. smashing it. So pretty it's it was pretty intense cover i kind of i kind of want that cover a little bit but it's probably going to be like the green ranger cover was and like ridiculously expensive well, that's pretty cool so if anybody's out there's listening yeah give me that book <laughs> <laughs> merry christmas to me <laughs> all right so what do you, what do you want to do next what do you got what else you got um let's just let's jump into x-men x-men number three. Oh. All right. <laughs> this is where me and you kind of uh kind of differed because i didn't mind this i thought it was actually i don't know i like it when i'm surprised and when um something that's that's new especially in x-men it's hard to do anything new that hasn't been done and with, especially with characters, I think a lot of times maybe writers are gun shy to introduce new new villains or, or whatever. But we're introduced to how many of them were there? Four. Well, before before we talk about this, I just want to okay. say real quick: this book it came out a, a few weeks ago that Hickman Hickman tweeted that he was trying to get fired from X Men, and they just haven't what? fired him yet. Yeah, and I, I don't know if he was being sarcastic. I took it as sarcasm, but he he said I'm trying to get fired from X Men. They just haven't done it yet. If if there's ever an issue of X Men that would back up that statement, it's this issue. No, yes, really, it is. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because you could have had the villains in this issue could have been so badass, but then when they reveal themselves. And you're like, are you are you serious right now? This is what they did with this. This is how this went. Yeah, the only thing, and not just that, the fact that they won up Cyclops, not only Cyclops, but they won up everyone. They everybody. won up Cyclops. They won up Emma Frost. They won up everybody. I think the reason for that is is because of who they were. Because it put everybody's guard down, and I mean, okay, so we haven't. It was four older ladies that that came on. They came in through a portal um, onto Krakoa, 
And they are... So, no, they didn't come into Krakoa. So, they came in through a portal outside of the... Um, it was outside of the uh, Savage Lands. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, they, the X-Men detected that something was, was going on, right? And just for some backstories, the Savage Lands is where they grow their... Their flowers, the Krakoan flower gateways, the gateways they use to get to and from Krakoa. And yeah, and, and like it's the Savage Land's been in X Men lore forever. It's mm -hmm. it's kind of like a forgotten land where you know there's dinosaurs and and Sauron lives. And anyway, so yeah, so they they go they they get in there, and the X Men. Uh, there are some mutants already there, but the the four ladies who are like they're tending have, to the flowers. They're the the flower keepers. Yeah. yeah, so they're not like armed or anything. Mm -hmm. So they they they're immediately taken down by these four ladies, and they start just harvesting flowers um, because they're they're botanists anyway. And so, well, they belong to like a huge, I guess like a huge think tank or like a. Like a big, a, they're part of a larger organization. So they they get in there, they start harvesting flowers. The X Men from Krakoa detect that there's there's something not right over there, like that gate's not responding or something's going well, on. Krakoa's in pain, so they really okay, they, yeah. They realize that Krakoa's in pain and that they can't get to the. They realize that the gate to the Savage Lands won't open. They can't get into the Savage Lands, so they have to go around the long way to try to get to the Savage Lands, and. Mind you, when these ladies show up, they look like total badasses. They're all in, like, samurai slash old Plague Doctor gear. So they've got, like, Plague Doctor masks on and stuff. And their masks, they look badass when they show up, you know. And then it's when they remove their mask and it's fucking the Golden Girls. It's, <laughs> it's Blanche and, you know, Rose and the fucking Golden Girls. 90-year-old yeah. women who are just complete badasses. Over so the flowers. <laughs> so they um they they get in they then the X Men they they go all yeah like Matt said they had to go a, a long way around they had to use that little uh, like Aborigine teleporter dude mm -hmm. um, and so anyway so they 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 go around and they they get there and it's it's Cyclops uh, uh, Sebastian Shaw Emma White Frost. Queen Emma Frost and they basically come up there to him like hey what are you guys doing and sebastian shaw tries to or who was it there was this really funny part where they basically talk a lot of smack to white queen to yeah. emma frost they basically call her a whore yeah <laughs> they're, yeah they're calling <laughs> they're her a whore panel. and a slut and, and there's this awesome panel where, where the, the panels are exactly the same, except Emma Frost's eyes are like widened. Yeah, and Sebastian Shaw is has his mouth, has his hand over his mouth. <laughs> like, they say trying that not to dress, laugh. She dresses like a whore. <laughs> yeah, and like, but the, the thing that killed me about that is the the way they wrote the the writing is they literally wrote out you you h word you b word you know I'm gonna kick your a word. They wrote out the word a word or b yeah. word. You know, I was like. Okay, this is this is super kitty now. Yeah, I I thought it was kind of I was 
okay, so this was all before you you see who's actually behind those awesome masks. And I saw them, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is really lame writing that stuff. So anyway, so they, they Sebastian Shaw goes over and tries to like sweet talk him and they like hit him. They're, they've got these guns, like these slime guns and they hit him with them. And I, I don't know if it like, it disrupts their powers somehow. So Sebastian Shaw, it dampens their mutant abilities. Yeah. So Sebastian Shaw's taken out immediately, which is, that's the one thing is Sebastian. So Sebastian Shaw's supposed to be one of the most powerful mutants. And yeah, he gets taken out in like seconds by these, these ladies. And so, yeah, so they start beating on him. And so Cyclops tries to step in and of course he zaps a few of them, but then he gets hit with that gunk and eventually they all do. But, um, and they get him with like the, the most stupidest ploy of the book, like that faking injury. Ow, ow, ow. I'm an old woman. And then of course Cyclops beat the boy scout. He's like, Oh, are you all right? And she's like slimed. Yeah. See, that's, that's the kind of thing. It's like, they, they kind of use who they are to to catch him off guard and it worked so yeah so they, they're they're collecting these they're part of a group called is it horticulture mm-hmm. and so what they're doing is they're collecting so basically they're anti-mutants they're an anti-mutant group and and tell correct me if i'm wrong and they're gathering these flowers so they can kind of get a more of a feeling of what exactly like Krakoa is and how to stop it from spreading or to def- tr- figure out some ways of, of defeating it. If it ever becomes like a real threat to humanity. Right. They're trying to figure out a way to take out the Island. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what they were doing there. But I don't, so Matt, I guess gives it a huge thumb. I didn't think it was, like awesome. I mean, it, it did have, it definitely had its plot holes in my opinion, but um, I don't know, man, I I'd give it, I give it a three. I got to give it a two, five, man. Like look, <laughs> we're close. We're all- look like out of the X books, X-Men issue one was, was kind of crummy. Like coming out of powers of 10 house of 10 X-Men number one was kind of crummy. X-Men number two was better. I thought, you can only go up from here, right? X-Men number three is going to be worse. Joke's on me, apparently, because <laughs> they decided to pull out some geriatrics as their their bad guys, and it reverted. And I, I think my biggest issue with it is, is one, the, the kiddiness of writing out a word, or she's such a B word. Well, it's because they were yeah. old. Yeah, they, they, I know. You know, but... But it would have been funnier, and the fact that they called her a whore and that they went with it was was really funny. I don't understand the the why they're using so much so much Sebastian Shaw all of a sudden. Yeah, it seems that, like Sebastian Shaw is like the flavor of the week right now. Um, I could have done without that, and just what Krakoa the, the whole establishment of Krakoa and the whole establishment was you can't get through these gates unless you're a mutant. So how are all of a sudden I understand the assassins getting through the gate because they basically pick apart and they they've cherry picked um parts of Domino. I understand that. 
but like the old women we just love flowers and the flowers let us through you know it's just like okay and then you have this trained team of mutants in the x-men and they're dispatched you've got one of the most power supposed to powerful mutants in emma in emma frost and sebastian shaw and then yeah. cyclops and they're dispatched by a bunch of geriatric women <laughs> You know, if like that's what I say, if this doesn't sound like like Hickman is just shitting all over the X Men, I don't know what does because literally, you're leader of the X Men, and then these self proclaimed or proclaimed strongest mutants are dispatched by a bunch of geriatric old women, the Golden Girls. (laughs) I I thought it was a fun little issue if this continues and if they like somehow become like more of a threat or they take out more of them then i'm gonna just call bs and and jump out like you because i like i said one time it was funny it it made me you know it it made me laugh but if if it if they become like a serious threat to krakoa and and like the more powerful X-Men then nah I'm not gonna have that it would just be like I, I half expected her to like give Apocalypse a wedgie and be like whippersnapper <laughs> you know it's, it's, it's like are you serious right now with this <laughs> like I wanted to stop reading I was like no I gotta finish it but I was like I was gritting my teeth through the old lady so I was like you you gotta be kidding me right now like like the whole yeah. like the whole like idea of them stealing parts from mutants and capturing mutants and dissecting them to use them to get into Krokoa, that was cool. And we we lost everything cool that just happened, got ruined by by uh X-Men, by the, well, the geriatric squad. Hopefully X-Force will continue with that. I hope uh, so. Yeah, yeah. So what's that? Go ahead. Oh, I wasn't I was I'm done. I get a two five. Okay. Yeah, I'll give it a three. Just just for humorous. Two, just for humor, look, you know. I loved House and Powers of Extra Ten, but you're getting two more issues from me, Hickman. You got two more issues to issue five. You're getting two more issues. If this crap keeps up, I'm out. I'm done. Bye. <laughs> I'll X-Men. I don't think there's a doubt that I'll I'll keep getting X Men the the flagship title. Like um, they they canned a really solid uncanny X Men story. I know, for, I know for, for geriatrics. That that's the I can't think about that because yeah, uncanny before this reboot launched, um, uncanny was really good, and they were you know you were revving up with the whole like Return of Wolverine. And then they just that just kind of fell off. Well, you were and, up with the return of Wolverine, the redemption of Cyclops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then you fell off for for geriatrics. And Wolverine, yeah, and they were Wolverine and Cyclops were building like a. It was almost like the the old days, you know, where they were, um, they they're kind of building up like a little scrappy team to go after all of their enemies that that have gone that have defeated the x-men before so in a sense it was almost kind of like x-force in a way and yeah and it was looking really cool and then i this and oh. like they pushed uh, yeah and 
I don't understand why why they did it. Like that was more interesting, and it's like the you know, like you said, they reset it to push the the new narrative and to push geriatric women, Krakoa, the return of Charles Xavier, and a Wolverine, Cyclops, Jean Grey threesome slash love triangle menage a trois (laughs) it's i don't yeah some of the stuff with the the house of of x and powers of x i didn't care for like i didn't care for that entire future line uh, or or storyline that was to me it was just really boring and and i'm like do i even need to know this Am I going to have to know any of this? Because it's really boring. It kind of sucks. And then that whole thing with where they like assimilated with or assimilated with the phalanx. I'm like what? I don't know, man. So far, I didn't. So far, I wish I would have just thumbed through those future, like the future X Men uh, storyline. But but the other stuff was pretty cool. Oh, it was cooler. Well, um, I think I think it was needed because it gives you. That future storyline gives you it shows you that no matter what they try to do, the X Men always fail. They're doomed to fail. Their way of thinking doesn't work, and that's kind of what the the whole futuristic thing was was about. Is that this way of thinking doesn't work? Your your way of thinking isn't is flawed. It doesn't work. You know, it's it's always doomed to fail. Yeah, no, I could t- I totally agree, but. Like that whole, you know, did I have to really know all that stuff about Nimrod being the leader and blah, blah, blah. It went in there a little bit too in-depth for me just to show us that. Well, you know, I, I Yeah, at but, some point on the roadmap, that's going to come back into play. But That's what I'm thinking, and knows, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, you or know. if Hickman gets the boot, who knows yeah. if the other the next writer is going to even well, pick any of this stuff up. I think if he keeps writing about the Golden Girls and geriatrics, he's going to get the boot. <laughs> uh, so, okay, you want to let's you want to do Batman? What do you want to do next? Uh, yeah, we can do Batman if you want. You want to go from one book I hated to another book I hated? Yeah, yeah. Batman eighty four, Battle for the Soul of Gotham. This is um, King's uh, Tom King's penultimate issue of Batman, and it's it garbage. You garbage. That's, <laughs> that's about all I'm gonna say about it. Is it's it's garbage. Again, we had the awesome build up last last issue, issue eighty three. We had that build up where we had that deep discussion about Alfred and. His goodbye to the character, the goodbye to the Batman, his time on Batman, and how that affected Bruce. And we were building up to the end of the the story and how everything was was in place for this climactic ending. And then we get Tom King, like Tom King does, throws another filler issue at us that we didn't need. And and what what about this book did we need? What about this book was pivotal to the ending? <laughs> of of this storyline the i think the only thing and you already you already kind of knew this but to solidify that um everything thomas wayne did to bruce was for for love (laughs) but you already you already knew that i mean if you if you've been reading the storyline i mean he said it before um 
Like you get so, the, the only thing the book offered you is it offers you some some interesting looks at Thomas Wayne as as a Flashpoint Batman, and you get a little some interesting looks at like um, Martha or Martha Wayne in that time frame as the Joker when she becomes the Joker, and that kind of explains that relationship, and it kind of lets you know that Reverse Flash is still trying to deal that whole button and Doctor Manhattan Watchman thing and. See that was cool. That was kind of cool. They showed that little, that little part of the of well of like the the part of the button you didn't see. Yeah, and then like it's like earlier, and you see you see her Martha Wayne as Joker shoot Catwoman, and you know it's just it's all over the the place in this book, and then it comes back to like like literally this whole book I think led up to the very last line that's going to move it forward. Is uh, listen to a man to your father who choose uh, choose what you choose, uh, who suffered the consequences of being the bat and and this horror for once in your damn life. Listen, do what I should have done and stay down. So it's like this whole like thing about showing why Bruce Wayne shouldn't have been the Batman and how Thomas Wayne is like kicking himself because he failed that his his son from a different fucking unit or I shouldn't say fucking because I want this to be in a the stores, but I already ruined it. From a different fucking universe. He wants his, his son from a different effing universe. It turned out to be just like him. So he somehow failed. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like, I, I understand where it makes sense for his time. But like why are you trying to punish Bruce from a different time that lived and you died. Where your Bruce died and you lived. And your wife became Joker. Like I, I don't know. It just... It was confusing. It was, I felt like, unnecessary. Um, I, I don't know. I'm just for a penultimate issue. For a penultimate issue, I think 83 was that. I think 83 is still going to remain that. And we'll see what happens in 85. But 84 was a gigantic waste of time. And it, it's just King doing kind of more of what he's been doing. And that's setting something up and pulling the rug out from underneath us. Because it's like you set up for this final confrontation, this big showdown, like the panels of 83 ended with Batman putting on his cowl and he's like, let's do this. And this, this whole issue is just backstory of, of Thomas Wayne. It, and then the final issue is Batman on his knees being told to stay down. And the big f conclusion comes in the next issue. It's like, where, where were you going with this? Was this necessary? And I don't think it was. Yeah, it pretty much ended the same way the 83 ended, you know. Um, I mean, it started out with, you know, Thomas Wayne clock and Bruce pretty good. But one thing that, that kind of annoyed me was the constant time jumps. You know, it, it, for uh, pretty much like every page. Earlier. You know, earlier. Yeah earlier how much earlier can be earlier like what <laughs> at what point are you just at the beginning yeah you know? every every like two panels it's in some parts you know it, it would jump jump time and one thing that, that was i don't know I, another thing you kind of saw in this issue was that thomas wayne was always kind of lurking in the shadows um you know it shows some like, you know, that where, where Bruce was proposing to Selena, you know, Thomas Wayne was over there creeping out in the shadows. You know, when... Uh, so you're saying he's when, a predator. 
Yeah. <laughs> when Clark and and He's a pervert. Uh, He's a peeping Tom. <laughs> when Clark and Lois and and Bruce and Selena went on that double date to the amusement park, um, Thomas Wayne was there in the shadows, you know. And so He's just that like, I guess it's me. <laughs> <laughs> so that part was, I don't know, whatever. You you can hate like love it or hate it, but um so yeah and and he, you know Thomas goes around taking out all the the villains and I don't even know if that's going to st- I mean how can that possibly stay canon um you know he takes out penguin he takes out bane joker um, joker riddler pretty much everybody he, he just you know shoots them and so yeah that uh, I don't know I don't know I mean it's it was it was a little bit confusing, a little unnecessary, and at the very end, we're right back where we started the beginning of the book. So, hey Matt, what did you think of Batman eighty four? <laughs> Crickets. That's pretty much it because Batman eighty four Battle for the Soul of Gotham was more like Batman eighty four. Battle against boredom. Battle for our, in, yeah. for our, uh, I don't even know. I don't, battle for your three ninety nine. Battle for your three ninety nine. Yeah, so it's too bad. It, it, you know, sometimes it almost seems like these are filler issues. You know, I, I and know. I defended, I defended last issue Batman issue so well. I changed Corbin's thought process process on it. And I'm like, look, Tom King's a good writer, man. He's He knows what he's doing. And then you get this hunk of dog crap. And it's just like, maybe I'm the one that's wrong. Maybe Corbin's right. Maybe no, I'm wrong. No. I, Tom King is a good writer, dude. I'm sorry, but I mean, I, I think Tom King's an excellent writer. But, I mean, sometimes he just, I don't know. M- maybe he just doesn't care anymore. Maybe he's just trying to rush it out. That's this whole no. storyline, this whole City of Bane storyline, feels like DC heads came to him and was like, "All right, we need a Batman book. We want, we want Bane the bad guy. Figure it out. You got, you got a couple weeks. Figure it out." And that this story wasn't laid out. It was, it, it, it feels very much like he was flying by the seat of his pants on a lot of this. Yeah, the City of Bane was dragged. A yeah. lot, and even the, that whole Selena Kyle um, marriage proposal thing dragged way too long. Also, well, I I think I almost feel like he thought he was leaving the book. Then it, it almost feels like his his cliffhanger was going to be Selena leaves Bruce at the altar, and that was the end of it. And <laughs> and then we get the rest of this and. Just the City of Bane storyline does not feel fleshed out. It did not feel like it was laid out. It does not feel like it was storyboarded well. It just feels like he had one good idea, and then he was like, oh, well, we need to make this work somehow. Let's put in this filler issue. You know, and it, it's like somebody was like, well, Batman and and, and Thomas Wayne are going to fight off, but we don't really understand why Thomas Wayne does all this, so the reader's not going to listen, so we need another issue to explain why Thomas Wayne is this way. Yeah, or or almost like I, I think you, you may be right about how yeah it does it didn't seem very well planned out, and I think when 
the story was actually happening, they left those holes and go, okay, no, no, just forget that hole. Just keep going. We'll explain it later. Yeah. We'll explain it later. And then now here comes these, you know, issues trying to explain some of the holes they left back then. And now you're like, I don't even care anymore. You know? <laughs> but, yeah. And it's kind of like the rehash of the, when Bane first broke Batman's back, like Bane broke the Batman again and he had to find himself again. And it, you know, it's this whole story. All right. We're going to have this epic showdown. Bane has just killed killed Alfred. All right, Batman, he's, he's going to set him at a table. Batman's going to wake up, and then he's going to have this whole internal monologue, right? It's going to be so cool. And then we're going to go to the to the fight. And then someone was like, uh, excuse me, Mr. King, um, but what is, what is uh, Thomas Wayne's motivation here? Why is he doing this? Well, what do you mean? We'll, 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 we'll get to that later, but just listen to my badass idea first. But your idea doesn't make sense. And, and that he had to go back and quickly work in for a way for it to make sense. Like, because listen, other than it could have been summed up, this entire issue could have been summed up in a couple words of dialogue to say, You, I never wanted you to be Batman. I never wanted this life for you. Lay down your, it's not worth it. You can't win lay down your your vendetta and move on with your life. And, and you know, and honestly, if you're watching the I don't know how many people here are watching the the crisis the CW crisis um crossover. But no not to spoil it. So if you haven't if you're not watching it, and you haven't watched episode 2 yet. No spoilers, but we know that Kevin Conroy is Kingdom Come Batman in it. Kingdom Come mm. Batman gives the sa- basically the same speech Thomas Wayne gives in this with in a shorter amount of time and way better. <laughs> so it's just like, like I said, you could have filled this whole issue with a couple words of dialogue of I never wanted this life for you. Lay down your, you know, lay down your vendetta. Move on with your life. It's It doesn't pay to be the Batman. Nothing good's going to come out of this. The end. You didn't need a whole 30 some page issue to try to get that fucking point across. Yeah, or I mean, even like, did you have to kill all the rogues too? Right. I mean, they don't know who he is anyway. You know right. why? Why go through all that, all those that whole charade with with Bane and and right. you know even like way back when even with Selena, and did you need any of that? Like you said, just come up to the dude and say, "Hey, <laughs> well, I understand trust me, I know this." It's, it's perception. Because he's dressed as Batman. People perceive him to be Batman. Batman's going crazy. Batman's killing everybody. Batman's doing things Batman does. Batman can't be trusted. But at what point are you just like, you don't need all this. This is this is pointless. Like, you already told the story to this point. Why are you going back and re-showing Thomas Wayne's motivation for all this? Like, you could have done it through dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, a lot of filler. A whole lot of filler. Or it could have even been in the final fight where they're throwing punches, a panel or two flashes back. It comes back to Thomas Wayne. It comes back to them fighting. A couple more punches are thrown, flashes back to Thomas Wayne again. And they're they're arguing about this as they're fighting. And it could have been done that way. You didn't need an entire issue of just his his reasoning and backstory. And it just was like, man, come on. <laughs> Yeah, I know. creeping out in the back, you know, yeah. watching from afar. Yeah, you, no. You would think didn't. that a writer would want to go uh, uh, on a run as big as Batman. 
you're on one of the, the top-selling books. You would think a writer would want to go out with a bang, not with a whimper. And that's what yeah. this went out with a whimper. Unless he just doesn't even care anymore. Because he, he, his, his run was cut short, right? I mean, it, it was supposed to like originally last to like, like 100 or 115 or something like that. And then for whatever reason, they're like, no, 85 is your last. Yeah. Pro- probably because they weren't selling. I'm sure it was motivated by Well, he money went to go work on a movie. I think he went to go work on, I want to say Eternals, but I'm not sure if it's the Eternals. He went to go work on some script. And that's where um, where he he left the book at, at that because he was going to he was pivoting to go work on a movie and a script. So interesting. Just yeah. I'll I'll see how the story wraps up, but it, it almost feels like DC was like, look, let's milk this, give us give us this filler issue, and then we'll wrap it up in an oversized you know, Batman 85 that we can sell for five ninety nine. You know, it's like, Ooh, money, money, money. Mm-hmm. I ho- yeah. Yeah. Uh, it'll definitely, it'll definitely be a $6 book for sure. <laughs> so, all right. So what, what do you want? Did you um, read Amazing Spider-Man? I didn't. I bailed on it. Num- number 35. It actually went too bad because, they didn't really talk too much about uh, 2099. It was pretty much just about the assassination of, of Dr. Doom. And um, so the basically the whole thing, is, you know, Doom. Oh, hold on. Gets, we forgot to give our scores on Batman. Oh, I think I said, uh, I, I, okay, I'll give it a, I'll give it a 2.5. I give it a one. Oh, Oh, a one. <laughs> That's what you get. A one. It was, it was entertaining, and the the for once, and the the art was was pretty cool. I mean, Jordy Belair's colors, man, it's, that guy's such an ace. And just for the the art alone, I'll, what did I say? Two point five or two? Two point five. I'll give it a two point five just for the art alone. Actually, I'm gonna go. L- Actually, you know what? For the fact that I defended this book so heavily last a couple episodes ago on Corbin, and they come back and hit me with this dog crap, I'm going to give it a 0. 0.5. <laughs> 0. 0.5. That's wow. Okay, that was uh, that was brutal. That was brutal. There's blood on the walls. Yeah, and that's that's just my because I'm scorn because. <laughs> You made me defend this book. You called me a liar, Tom yeah, King. Pretty much. Uh, wow. Okay. I'll know not to tick you off anymore. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, so Amazing Spider-Man, it was, it was pretty decent. The assassination of Doom. Uh, Doom gets ticked off. Did a bunch of geriatric women do it? No, not this oh. time. Um, Those darn grannies gone wild. Yeah, he, yeah. Doom takes off his mask, and it's yeah. actually he's actually like ninety. Yep. Um, but so he unleashes a bunch of Doom bots on New York, demanding uh, that that his assassin be brought to him. And I, I won't give any spoilers, but um, there was the book came out a week ago. You might as well spoil it. Well, 
okay. So, um, Spider-Man and Peter Parker and Teresa Parker are kind of just going around trying to figure out who, who killed him. And they finally find Hitman, but somebody has already killed him. And so it turns out it was the chameleon that, that tried to off doom and they want to, they want to just, you know what, let's just give chameleon to doom and be done with it. And so they're like, no, um, you know, they're struggling with, with what to do. And finally um, Peter Parker remembers he had that, that little device that can, uh, I guess it can, it can tell the, there, so a few issues ago, Peter was in class working with some other dude um, work. And he, the guy came up with like this little device that can predict the future under certain conditions. And so they, they ask, you know, they, 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 he goes in and he, he tries to predict the future and he's, he, there's this panel where he shows there's, they show all the timelines of what can possibly happen with whatever they do, you know, do they give chameleon to doom? Do they not do they all this? So finally Spider-Man is like, okay, I know what to do. And so they try to, to, to bring him Hitman, who was already dead. And, and so Teresa Parker um, kind of looks at him and he's like, are you sure this is what we're supposed to do? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm positive. And so it turns out that Dooms totally saw through their plan and is basically just, you know, starts at the, at the very end panel, he starts blasting everybody because he, they lied to him. And that's where the book ends. And it just says, um, to be continued in two weeks in um, Amazing Spider-Man number 36 and 2099 Omega. I'm not following 2099 Omega. I'll turn into, you know, Amazing Spider-Man number 36, but um, hopefully there won't be much mention of 2099 again. So it was cool. It was, it was a fun issue. Um, again, I liked it because they didn't mention anything of that the new the new Marvel cash grab, the latest Marvel cash grab, which is a 2099 series. And um, I don't know. I give it I give it a 3.5. That's it was a fun read. Fun read. Good Decent art. That is the last issue. So. No, no, man. I, in fact, like I've been I've been dreading reading Amazing Spider-Man because it's been so hit or miss. And this one was was pretty just like I said, pretty lighthearted, you know, fun read. So good, man. Other than Doob killing everybody, that wasn't that lighthearted, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> All right, so what do you got? Let's talk Marauders. Oh, the one X book that from Git has been solid. Shit the bed this week. <laughs> Marauders has shit the bed this week. Look, last issue, issue three. Issue two ends with Kitty Pride declaring herself, I'm the Red Queen, bitch. You know, she says it. I'm the Red Queen, bitches. She's got the, the hold fast tattoos. She looks like a badass in her pirate coat with the sword and all that. And then, in, you know, it was a little bit about the Sebastian Shaw double cross. But then we get Marauders issue three. 
And it goes back into Sebastian Shaw just wanting to bring his son back to life. Which is fine. It's fine, you know. You want to bring Shinobi, back to life. Yeah. Which we haven't seen Shinobi in a long time. So which was kind of cool because he died way back years ago. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, Krakoa birthed Shinobi. Yeah. Go ahead. Gold balls. Yeah. Gold balls and Krakoa birthed Shinobi. <laughs> And then, like, the best part about this book, honestly, was Pyro and the fact that he's so drunk that, like, he can barely function. And uh, they say that he got into Wolverine's stash and they found him down there sleeping it off. (laughs) So he was hammered. And then, so it's this whole, like, yeah, thing with Shinobi Shaw and how his dad wants to make him the Red Queen, the Red, the Red King again. And that, but that, that title's taken. So now he's like, what is it? What do they call him? The Black Pawn or something like that? Um, um, didn't they say like Bishop? Oh, Black Bishop, maybe. Yeah, yeah. That's I think that's it. Um, they call him the Black Bishop, and how he tells him, but don't don't get rid of your red suit because we're gonna make a play for that. And then he kind of tries to push this narrative about how um, the White Queen and Red Queens were responsible for his murder. And and I guess because it shows the it cuts to a page where like Shaw's looking at him and his hand is phased. Yeah, through his skull. Yeah. And it's been so long, I honestly forgot how Shinobi Shaw even died. Yeah, I don't remember either. So I'd have to go back and figure out how he actually died again. But um it just I found that the story just boring. It was it was boring. There was a lot of like, you know, father, son, you know, uh, like little back and forth and, um, Shinobi, uh, Shinobi wants to do his own thing. And, and, and Sebastian Shaw doesn't want to let him basically he wants to like, basically it seems like Shinobi Shaw wants to, or, or Sebastian Shaw wants to take his son under his wing and Shinobi kind of doesn't want anything to do with it. Yeah. Um, that's basically with the, like the whole, you know, summed up this, that's what the book is. Um, so we did see professor X standing there. Yeah. That, so it makes me wonder where the timeline in this is. Yeah. Yeah, so I, yeah, so we we see Professor X standing there when Shinobi, you know what? That, well, also that reminds me of it's like uh, like in Lord of the Rings when when the when they when uh, uh gosh, what's his face was was taking the orcs out of the earth, and they like cut they like the earth would like birth them out. That's kind of what that reminds me of. Yeah, when Krakoa like, you know they just kind of like rip out of the womb and all of a sudden they're there and they've got all these memories, you know, exactly who they are. Um, so yeah. And so professor X is standing right there. So I don't know what that's all about. I don't know if that's before X force, if, if professor X got, you know, they, they re, what did they, what did, I don't even know what it's called. They like revive him, I guess. Re- reincarnate him or reanimate him. Yeah. And so I don't know, man. I, I just I I hope this doesn't turn into like the Hellfire Club, you know, a Hellfire Club story because 
The Hellfire Club were cool in little bits, but when they do entire arcs of them, they're really boring. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out. I'm trying to look up to see how he died. I, I can't remember how he died. Yeah, I don't remember either. But yeah, there there wasn't a lot of there there weren't pretty much any subplots or any side stories. It was just Shinobi, Sebastian. You know. <laughs> yeah, this one was pretty bad, but I'm not ready to leave it yet. So he killed him. He put so Okay, so he puts his hand says he was later returned to life through unknown means he rejoined the upstarts and together they killed the nasty boys to lure the x-men when he discovered they were unknowingly working for the black king he put his hand through his head killing himself so that whole hand through the head thing is accurate but shinobi shaw did it to himself he killed hmm. himself and now so sebastian is trying to spin it to make it look like um, Emma Frost and Kitty Pride are responsible for it. Mm. Since you don't remember your death. Like, you get your memories, but he doesn't remember his death. He just, <laughs> they spun it to where he's trying to say that, you know, Kitty Pride and, and Emma Frost killed him. Yeah, so one thing that, that they leave out of his memory banks when they revive him. Mm -hmm. We're going to bring you back, but you don't need to know how you died. <laughs> that's not essential at all no, no, no. so yeah so that that's pretty much where it was Marauders, I don't know, man. my favorite x-men book in the run right now gets a whopping 2.5 out of 5 for me this week uh, i was gonna say two for me it's a two it was pretty dull it was Very so dull yeah, not a lot of humor, not a lot of anything. It, it was just set up, I think. It was just all set up into characters that I don't even care that much about. That's right, the bad exactly. thing. So, um, all right. What, what, what do we got next? What do you got? You got um, you know, the last book I have is Excalibur. So what do you have that, that um, I'll... Daredevil? Go ahead and talk about what? Daredevil? Um, we can talk Daredevil, sure. Um, excellent. Very excellent. Chip Zdarsky is... I mean, dude, it's so good. It's so, like, like noir. Like, like old, like, uh, like, 19, like, 40s, like, detective noir books. It's, it's, it's so fun. And so, basically, Matt Murdock... He issues ago, he's been dealing with not wanting to be Daredevil anymore. Ooh, you know, that's not any original at all. But he's got this relationship. He's got he's had this like really like do-gooder cop that has been after him. And even though he doesn't want to be Daredevil anymore, he's still kind of sort of trying to do some good. So he's he's uh you know, putting him, he's like wearing a, a black hoodie and, you know, trying to look all, you know, he can't see who he is. And he still goes out at night every now and again. And, and so he's encountered this, this do-gooder cop that got transferred. It's like a new transfer. And he's, we know, one of these guys that wants to clean up the town and, you know, he's black and white, you know, this is the law. This is against the law. There's no in between. So 
He's, by he's the got book. this really. What's that? He's by the book. Right. Yeah. And so, um, he's had this really interesting relationship with Matt Murdock, where they've had some like, um, some conversations about, hey, you know, it's not like that. You know, I don't operate like that, and. Um, he doesn't understand. He's he's had a hard hard time understanding until um, the the Hell's Kitchen Police Department, I guess, is so super corrupt that this this cop, the 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 do-gooder cop, um, they like jumped him in the street and they're just beating the crap out of him. There's like ten or fifteen cops just on him, and and Matt Murdock came and and basically saved his life, and so now he's he's kind of having a different, a, a different view of, of the way, you know, the world is. And that part's been really interesting that Chip Zdarsky is such a good writer and he, he, he seems to like, um, really get to the essence of, of like daredevil and this, the, the, the dialogue between these two guys is just so interesting and so well-written and it's it's very captivating. I mean, most of the book, I'd say, um, well, maybe like uh, almost half of the book is just the Matt Murdock and that cop just talking in a diner back and forth. And so, of course, you're also dealing with with uh, Wilson Fisk not wanting to be a kingpin anymore, but he still has too much like street in him, and he can't quite operate in in like high society. It's, it's stuff still gets to him. And so he's struggling with that. And meanwhile, there's, there's other gangs in New York that are making deals to, to overthrow him. And that's basically the sum of the book. And um, so when daredevil goes out still trying to, to, you know, like just a couple of, you know, he, he saves a couple people every now and again, but he gets his butt kicked a lot. And so Electra's like, look, man, you're either going to do this or you're not. So if you're going to, you know, if you're going to go out there, I'll, I'll retrain you and, and, and I'll, I'll help you be a better fighter again, because you, you know, it's just embarrassing watching you get your butt kicked all the time. <laughs> um, so yeah, th then there's that. And then there's this really interesting storyline where um, Matt also like falls in love with, um, one of the the so she, this woman that's married to uh, a high level boss in one of the gangs that he's trying to take down, and so that he's having this relationship with this lady, and man, it, it's just the whole book is so good, man, so good. If anybody's ever been on the fence about Daredevil, if you like the character, if you like the the Netflix show, get into this now because it's so good it's man i mean God, i don't remember when chip zadarsky even came on um hasn't been that long ago you probably just need to pick up a couple trades and you'll you'll be caught up but daredevil um gosh number 14 i give it i'll give it four i'll go ahead and give it a four star review Oh, nice. Yeah. Good stuff.
four-star review. <laughs> like I did something, you know, I'm taking the credit for it. Um, yeah, it's excellent. It's probably, gosh, I want to say it's probably my favorite Marvel book out right now. So. Nice. So what do you got? What do you, what do we want to do next? What what else do you have? Because the last book I have is Excalibur. Um, I'll just do a quick another really excellent review on something, and it won't be long. Um, is <laughs> really excellent is, review. I actually hit well, that one. I meant to hit this one. Um. Is, well, what I meant to say on an excellent book, oh. review on an excellent book, not that my reviews are excellent by any means, but this review <laughs> that uh, on Lois Lane, um, which is... Oh, God, you're actually reading that? Oh, dude, it's so good. Is it? Yeah. Um, it's it's like... Uh, it's It reminds me of like those old-timey... Um, like when when journalism like mattered like all the president's men mm -hmm. type thing you know where she's just getting she's trying to unearth corruption in, in government and people don't want her to and superman wants to get involved and you know there's the, all these reasons why she just wants him to stay away from her while she does this mm -hmm. and it's like she's she's kind of like fighting for her own like identity almost like trying to get out from under his shadow and him doing everything for her. So she's getting in really deep in like government corruption. And um but this issue in particular dealt mostly with dealing with her dad's death in Event Leviathan and it was it was it wasn't as good as it was kind of like a break in the storyline, but still very, very well, very good writing, excellent art. Um, gosh, I'll, I want to give it a 3.5. And the only reason why I don't give it a four is just because it, it is kind of a slight deviation from the main storyline. It's kind of like a, it's almost like a standalone book of sorts. It's like a um, one-off, kind of like an annual issue almost. Yeah, yeah, it kind of is. Um, so the whole thing, it's uh, it's 12 issues, and this is issue six, so it's halfway through. Um, but it was it was very well-timed, you know, just because Event Leviathan just ended, and um, Lois Lane's father played a big part in, in her life. Uh, and, isn't, isn't that and usually Superman. what dads do? Kind of. Dads usually play a big part in your life. Yeah, but this dude unless was kind out, of a... Unless he went out for milk. Years ago and never <laughs> for came scratchers. Back. Yeah. <laughs> so, kind of, but he, she had a really rocky relationship with him just because he didn't approve of her and, and Clark. He knew who Clark was and he didn't like him. How could um, you not approve of Superman? Because he, he would always say that, you know... He's an alien and you can't trust this all powerful being. And he, he, he just had too many questions about him. Basically he, he hasn't proven himself to him yet. Oh yeah. Okay. 
you know? Being a Kryptonian that saved the world countless times. Hey, you, know? you never know. You never proved yourself <laughs> to me. Uh, whatever. No one's good enough for my little lady. I guess so. So, yeah. It's cool. Cool book, man. I, I, it's, it's a good palate cleanser. It's something that's not... It, with the exception of this event, Leviathan, but it's it's kind of like its own standalone thing. You don't really have to know much about anything that's going on in the DC universe to to read this. It's good, good stuff. I enjoy it. Nice. I thought it was going to be like the the Mary Jane story. I was like, no thanks. Oh no, dude! This just like looking at the the thing that always draws me into comics is the picture and this right well no the covers the artwork the cover just i'll look at a cover and even if if i've read about with the exception of 20xx i'll look at a cover and i'll be like oh man that looks cool i'm gonna get it and even though i've never heard of it i don't know who is who the creative team behind it is if the cover's cool i'll get it and these lois lane books man the, the covers have been awesome looking good so Glad you're joining right. Lois Lane. Yes. <laughs> All right. Let's talk Excalibur. Issue three. Issue three. All right. Not a whole much about to talk about this book. It's a two. End of discussion. End of discussion. <laughs> no. Uh, um, I mean, you really... What, what can you say about this book? You see... You know the new Betsy, uh, the new Captain Britain, Betsy Bardock face off against her brother, um, and you find out that Jubilee's son can in in the like world they're in now and the land they're in, Jubilee's son can manifest into whatever creature he wants, so he becomes that's, a dragon. That's new to me. I don't know if it's new to anybody else. But and like that's yeah, new to me too. And Jubilee's like, oh, my son's a dragon. Like, he's, <laughs> and everybody was, like, oh yeah, okay. He's a baby in the in real world. He's he's human. He's not a mutant. He's a baby in the real world. But in this world, he's a he's a, a freaking dragon. And she's all like, oh no, don't hurt my baby. And they're like, your your kid has scales and he breathes fire. Like, what's gonna happen to him? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just it's very weird. Excalibur again took a. It's like all the Xbox this week took a weird turn for the weird or for the stupid. Yeah. And I oh, sorry, go ahead. And I was just say like her her son turning into a dragon. Yeah, turning into a dragon. I'm just like, this is dumb. Dumb. I'm not I'm not crazy about the whole um Captain Britain, Morgan Le Fay story i i i don't know man i i those are always like the weakest part of excalibur in my opinion i mean even like the old excalibur um one of the things that was kind of cool was we got to see richter again yeah and apparently he has some sort of weird depression ptsd type because thing he can't where, step on the floor yeah he can't control his powers so he, every time he, he steps on Earth, like everything just starts crumbling. And, and Apocalypse shows up. And he's like, hey, I want you to be my butt buddy. Come with me. Yeah. But okay, so there was something I, I missed. Okay, and so the, the another re cool um, 
part of this was we got to see Pete Wisdom again, who I thought used to be pretty cool back in the the old Excalibur. Um, so we saw, like Matt said, Apocalypse basically take Richter and literally takes him by the hand and be like, come with me. It's all also right. Never, never frightened boy. <laughs> come with me, frightened boy. Yeah. And then, and then he kind of goes, wait, I thought you were taking me to, to Krakoa. And then you see Pete wisdom. And he says, um, he said, actually, this is, what does he say? He says, actually, geographically, this is Cornwall, England. And he says, England, I thought we were going to the island. And I'm I don't know. Wisdom, man. agent of MI-13, division I of think, black air, British secret intelligence. The queen needs her captain. Yeah, I didn't get that. So he like tricked him. He like tricked him into take. I don't know, man. Yes. So apparently Richter is going to play some part in getting Captain Britain back. I don't know. Come with I me, frightened boy. <laughs> frightened boy. That's the part where it lost me. So, yeah. Gosh. Okay, well, what do you think, Excalibur? Then we'll... Two. Two? Two. I'll give it a, a 2.5 just for the return of Richter and Pete Wisdom. Two. But if it would have been more of the whole, why is Rogue in comatose? And why are you guys all making fun he, of well, me? Well, he did. Like, still, still Gambit complained about it. Yeah. Like, that, your, that, your son's a dragon, yeah. and you're sitting here worried and complaining. And my love is a, a bed of flowers, and nobody's helping her. And, and I like how literally they were like, dude, she can be brought back. Her kid can't. Like, they, Krakoa can rebirth her. Her kid yeah. can't be rebirthed because he's not a mutant. He's a human. So, so yeah. It's just when like, when did Gambit get so thin skinned? Right. You know, that's annoying. So yeah, that was bad. I think bad he, news. A, he he found someone's stash of estrogen and just started taking him. <laughs> he got a little whiny. <sighs> Yeah, he's just, uh, something happened. He got a little. He got a little sand in the old cage, and there was there was a turn for the worse somewhere. somewhere All right, man. Line, he got a little sand in the old cage, and decided to just bitch about everything. <laughs> he went from the wisecracking opposite, you know, bad boy of Wolverine, to just being a whiny little butt. Yeah, so much for the the raging Cajun. Right. Now he's the menstruating Cajun. <laughs> Go through metaphors, bitching about hot flashes. Uh, so yeah, man, that that about does it for me. So yeah, me too. So uh, let's go ahead and quickly. This is a part of our show where we talk about the books we're looking forward to that hit stores tomorrow. What's coming out tomorrow that you're looking for forward to? Well, I'm going to go ahead and, and pick up uh, Undiscovered Country number two. Uh, I don't know if you're going to still be in it, but I'll, I'm going to give it a couple more. Um, I think I liked them, issue number one more than you did. So I'm, I'm getting Undiscovered Country number two. 
Um, Aliens versus Predator have uh, a new series starting up tomorrow called Thicker Than Blood. Uh, Dark Horse putting that out as usual. Um, I'm, I might pick that up. Uh, Detective, okay, for DC, Detective Comics number uh, 1017, Dollhouse Family number two, which I'm very, very much looking forward to, uh, Flash number 84, Superman number 18, and for Marvel, uh, Captain America number 17, which Captain America has been fantastic uh, as, as of recent. Um, the the new writer that took over from I think he took over from Nick Spencer um, Tanahasi Coates has been he writes Black Panther and even though I'm, I haven't been a big fan of that book it's it's a little too dense um, he's and I was so afraid he was going to turn Captain America into kind of like a political soapbox because um, Tanahasi Coates is uh, an essayist and an author. And he, he very, he's, he's very political, very political. And I thought Captain America, I'm like, oh, no, here we go. But he hasn't at all. It's been so good. Um, so, I, yeah, Captain America number 17, I'm very much looking forward to. Uh, Fallen Angels number three, give it another whirl. Uh, Fantastic Four number 17, Punisher Soviet number two, which was number one was awesome. Definitely going to get that. And X-Force number three. And um, Boom has a new series called uh, The Red Mother that I might check out. And Something is Killing Children, uh, Boom, a title that Boom was also putting out. Uh, issue number four is coming out tomorrow. And I'm definitely going to pick that. It's been an excellent, excellent series that's, or mini series. That's James Tinian, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like a, like a fantasy horror type thing. But great, great read. Yeah, I mean, you pretty much hit mine on the head of looking forward to um, Fallen Angels, number three, uh, X-Factor, number three, and uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 100. So definitely be on the lookout for TMNT 100 tomorrow. Could be totally speculated to be a hot book. Hot, hot, hot. So, Is that going to be like the the one that's going to have a bunch of different writers? Uh, I'm not sure. I know there's a ton of variant covers for it, mm. but TMNT 100 people pick it up. Yeah, that'll be a definitely one to pick up. But so, is there anything else you want to say before we go tonight? Anything else before we sign off? No, man. I think I I had my fill. All right, guys. I want to thank you for joining us tonight. For all of our couple people that stopped by the chat, thank you for checking us out. Um, again, guys, this is a collaboration. So if you have any books that you're reading weekly that you think we need to check out and you want to hear our opinion on, or if you want to give your opinion on any of the books we reviewed tonight, make sure to do that. Make the, leave those comments below. If you're watching us on YouTube, make sure to hit that like button and click on that notification. So, you know, when we go live, um, you can find this podcast wherever, uh, podcasts are, Wherever you consume podcasts, uh, just look up Absolute Geek. It'll be on our feed there. Um, and next week, guys, we're going to have a very special guest next week here reviewing with us. Not only will it be Jay Corbin and I, but we are going to be bringing all the way from Japan. We're bringing in Gregory Schoen, the writer of Raygun. He's been interviewed several times on Absolute Geek. He is a, a good friend of the show. 
uh, he's going to come and uh, review some comics with us. So I know he's stoked about that. and He's looking forward to that. So uh, cool. tune in next week and uh, as we welcome Greg to sit down on our panel and uh, talk comics. So, yeah. So for this week's episode of Tales from the Spinner Rack, I'm Matt. I'm Jay. And we'll see you guys next time. And as always, remember to support your local comic shop and keep them bagging boarded. <laughs>